Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our BA Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with the Philadelphia Phillies. And to do that, we are joined by Chris Trankel. Chris has taken care of the Philly system for us for a couple of years and seen some of the talent matriculate through the system or unfortunately, in a lot of cases, stagnate through the system or once they get to the major leagues. Chris has been on top of all the changes happening in the Philly system for a few years now. So definitely excited to have him and get his insight on an organization that is making a lot of changes. Chris, first and foremost, how you doing? I'm good, man. Excited to be here. How are you doing? Doing well. Glad to be here in the new year and making our way through these prospects podcasts. Chris, specifically to the Philly system, organizationally, on the one hand, there were some good things in 2021. They went 82 and 80. That was the Phillies' first winning season in 10 years. 2011 was the last time they had a winning record. Bryce Harper, of course, won the National League MVP award, led the majors in OPS, really had a spectacular season, and for the most part, has been a very, very successful free agent signing since the Phillies signed him to that massive 13-year, $330 million deal. Zach Wheeler, another big free agent signing, was very productive for them as well, was one of the best pitchers in the National League. So there were definitely some good things. At the same time, this team was in first place as late as mid-August and scuffled down the stretch. And then on an individual level, we saw Alec Bohm regress badly after a really impressive 2020 rookie season, albeit shortened season, but showed why he was the number three overall pick, showed the promise at the plate that everyone hoped for. And then 2021 comes around and just regressed offensively, defensively, so much to the point he was sent down to AAA in August. And given the Phillies have this long list of draft and development failures, Scott Kingry, Adam Hazley, Mickey Moniak, you know, guys like Spencer Howard and J.P. Crawford who were traded because they just stagnated with the Phillies, there's a lot of concern there. Really outside of Aaron Nola and Reese Hoskins, it's hard to find any homegrown Philly success stories. And that kind of leads into all the changes the organization made. President of Baseball Operations, Dave Dombrowski, late last year, reassigned two assistant general managers who had been responsible for scouting and player development in a lot of ways. Farm director Josh Bonifay was reassigned. He eventually took a job with the Texas Rangers. And a number of longtime coaches in the organization did not have their contracts renewed. Gary Jones, Pat Borders, Ernie Witt, to name a couple of them, really just reshuffled the entire player development apparatus, or a significant portion of it, I should say. And the big move Dave Dabrowski made brought in Preston Mattingly as the new farm director. Mattingly was considered an up-and-comer in the Padres organization. And look, Dave Dombrowski and even owner John Middleton in recent years have been very, very blunt about the organization's struggles to draft and develop homegrown talent successfully. Before we dive into the individual players, the apparatus to help them succeed has to be there. And clearly that's something Dave Dombrowski believes was not in place and is trying to put in place. What are your impressions of the changes that have been made so far? And overall, how do you kind of assess the system and what needed to be changed? Well, I think it's good that Dombrowski's really getting his his footprint on it. You know, you want to have a 
so you want to have a, a an organization that has the same mo top to bottom and i think that you know that was one of the things that he said when bringing in mattingly was that they wanted to have a consistent message you know they both talked about having that consistent message combining an old school and new school approach um and i think you're going to to see that moving forward in the way that they um the way that they address the farm system i think um, to your point, they have had a lot of bad draft picks. Cornelius Randolph is another one, obviously, from 2015. But um, if, if you were to point to a success, I think Bryson Stott looks like he could be a, a solid big leaguer. You know, I'm, I know we'll get to him in a little bit. Um, but I think the encouraging thing for Phillies fans is that, obviously, to break that that 10-year drought of, of not having a winning record. And then, you know, you have building blocks in place to succeed, um, with guys like Harper, with guys like Wheeler. Um, but the big thing now is you, you have to get that starting rotation depth better, got to get the bullpen better. And the farm system does have to have to really bolster up some. You know, there there are some some talented guys at the top, but there really are lacking a lot of depth in a lot of ways. So I think that will be a big focus of Mattingly is, is really trying to bolster the depth within the system as he uh, as he takes over. Yeah, and we have seen in particular the pitching staff has been an issue, the lack of ability to develop arms really in the rotation or bullpen. And, and we've seen the results. The Phillies last year blew 34 saves, and that is a big reason why they finished outside of the postseason. That combined with really, as you mentioned, longstanding difficulties at the back of the rotation, guys that they either acquired as prospects or tried to draft and develop themselves have just not been able to take the reins and, and really be the consistent performers they needed at the back of the rotation. As we move into the system, what are the strengths and weaknesses of it right now? You mentioned there's not a lot of depth, but what do the Phillies have a, a decent bit of and where do they still need to build? Sure. Um, so, you know, I would say the one place where they, for the last few years, have had a lot of depth would be at catcher um, with guys like Logan O'Hoppy, who, uh, you know, had as good of a year as anybody in the organization. I know they really love him. Uh, Raphael Marchand, who's an excellent defender, um, Andrick Nava, guys like that, who they're, uh, who they're really, really encouraged by, um, you know, and then starting pitching, you, you could say at the top of the system, at least it's, it's definitely their strongest group. It's their top two prospects. And Hans Kraus also checks in at number seven on the list, but uh you know, they, they have to get more of these big impact bats. Um, the guy that you would look to who's probably the closest thing to a big impact bat is Ethan Wilson. And he's a guy who they just drafted in, in 2021. Obviously, he had a bit of a uh, disappointing debut. It's not something that they're worried about, but, you know, the, the numbers weren't great. And beyond him, you know, they really are lacking a lot of impact bats in, in the system. It's a lot of they have a lot of toolsy guys, but not a lot of guys where power is their strong suit. Um, the closest thing to it would be Jalen Ortiz, but he's a guy who, you know, has not been able to make enough contact to really access that power for the majority of the time that he's been with the organization. Um, and then after that, it would be someone like Jordan Byers, who they feel like was really a steal in the third round of the 2021 draft. He's a guy who is already showing um, 112 mile per hour exit velocities. He averaged 90 miles per hour exit velocities at Ball Instructional League, which is definitely legit as an 18 year old, but you know, he's still a long ways off. So that's something that they've got to really work on is, is bolstering the amount of big bats in the system. At the top of the system, based on your discussions with evaluators, both inside and outside the organization, as well as looking at some of the internal data we had and some of the reviews, 
Mick Abel and Andrew Painter, two high school pitchers, Abel's first round pick in 2020, Painter their first round pick in 2021. Those are the numbers one and two prospects in this system right now. What ended up pushing these guys to the top? Because again, you mentioned Bryson Stott, another first round pick who got to AAA, hit very well this year, had a really good performance in the fall league. And a lot of people are high on him. Ultimately, what pushed Abel and Painter to the top of this list? Sure. Uh, so I'll start with Abel. Um, you know, the organization really loves him. They feel like he is a guy that could one day be a frontline starter. Um, he's got four above average or better pitches. He's got advanced pitchability, especially for a prep arm. And he can, you know, he has that high 90s velocity. He's got good spin rate on his pitches. All the analytic characteristics are, are encouraging. The big thing with him, you know, is that he is a long way off. He dealt with a shoulder injury the last couple months of the year. He returned for instructional league, and they were really encouraged with how he looked there. Um, but, you know, it, with the prep right-hander, it's, it's such a risky demographic that it's – you never know. But, you know, on pure talent alone, he, he does stand alone in the system with just that mix of having four pitches that he can throw pretty much any count and the advanced pitchability and advanced control – and then Andrew Painter, you know, he's another guy who had advanced pitchability for a prep arm. I think that was one of the things that really was intriguing to the organization was the fact that he's got plus control for an 18-year-old. And he, uh, you know, he was averaging 97 and a half miles per hour on his fastball and instructs. And he has a swing and miss pitch and a slider. And then a pair of average to above average secondaries, depending on how they develop. And I think just having those two guys who – you can project as being guys that could be in the top three in your rotation pushes them a little bit higher than Stott, who doesn't have the kind of ceiling that they do, albeit with a safer floor. I think that was really, um, that was really what pushed them over a guy like Stott was just, you can really dream on that potential with those two. Yeah, I think one of the things that stands out is just the physicality of these two pitchers. Abel, 6'5", 190, has a lot of room to still get stronger and really be that big front of the rotation type horse. Andrew Painter is listed at 6'7", 215. I mean, these are two big dudes that, again, there's a long way to go. There's a lot of growth ahead, but you talk about the stuff and, and Painter in his case, it's pretty rare to see a guy that big, that young with the control he does. So you obviously see the ingredients, uh, but I think you hit on it. This is going to be a long road. High school right-handers, for the most part, it's a five-year path minimum. And a lot of times it takes them a little bit longer to really be that top of the rotation type of arm just because they break in maybe year five or year six. It normally takes them a little while longer to really ascend to that ace status on top of it. So two really, really good pitchers, but this is going to take a while. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it's definitely a, a, a long-term haul. And in some ways you could say that kind of fits the development path of the system with bringing in Preston Mattingly and Dombrowski really being able to get his fingerprints all over it. It's going to be a slow climb to get this uh, system to the place where they want it to be in the top half of, of the organizations in baseball. But, you know, these are two guys that I think many teams would covet having them. So at least the Phillies have a, a very good starting point, albeit it's going to be – fans got to have some patience with them. To your point about teams coveting guys, Mick Abel was someone just speaking with evaluators out here in the Western U.S. in advance of the 2020 draft. Abel's an Oregon guy. And even though he didn't have a senior season, there was 
very little question in a lot of evaluators' minds that he was the best high school pitching prospect in the 2020 draft class. The combination of stuff, physicality, feel, control, and his walk rate was higher than you might have thought this year, 5.4 per nine. But on the whole, everyone sees the ingredients. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it is a long process, and I think uh, many people within the organization would tell you it wasn't a perfect debut, but they were still encouraged by by what he by what he did in his first year. And yeah, I mean, it, it really does speak to the, the level of, of talent and just pitchability and everything that he had that, you know, scouts weren't that concerned heading into the 2020 draft with the fact that he didn't have a high school season. Um, so you're talking about a guy who was the, the slam dunk top pitching prep pitching prospect in his class. And then another guy in Andrew Painter, who was, you know, the number two pitching prospect. He was the number one guy for a lot of the year. And then Jackson Job obviously overtook him at the end there. But yeah, I think, you know, you're talking about two big imposing right-handers with great stuff and just a rare amount of pitchability and control for their age. And that's something that is, is encouraging. And it's something that the organization would definitely like to build around. So you mentioned these were the guys that, based on your discussions, pretty clearly slid in to the top two spots. Bryson Stott is a player that it almost feels is a little bit underrated. And the reason I say that is he's a first round draft pick, but it was a mid-major. He went to UNLV and UNLV plays at elevation. A lot of the teams in the Mountain West Conference, they also play at elevation. So there were some questions about the big offensive numbers, but on the whole, people still saw a really good player. The Phillies took him 14th overall in the 2019 draft. And Brief pro debut, the 2020 minor league season was canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic. So 2021 was his first full season as a professional. And he rose from high to triple A and hit pretty much at every level. And then the Arizona Fall League, I think, is where things really started to turn up for him. I remember talking to a couple of officials. By the time I got out there, it was the last week of the Fall League. So I didn't get to see a whole lot of him when he was really, really going well. Uh, The few times I saw him, he actually just wasn't getting pitched to. He was getting walked, which tells you a little something about his ability level and how opponents treated him and saw him. But I remember sitting with a high-level official, and we were just talking about the league and and I said, hey, by the way, who for you is the best guy you saw out here? He didn't hesitate. He said Bryson Stott. Of all the players that he saw out there in the Arizona Fall League, Stott was the best player he saw out there. I was super impressed with the plate discipline, really just all the way around. Everything he did at the plate from his composure, his swing, he's gotten stronger, the bat speed. Then he played pretty solid defense in the middle infield as well. There's questions about short versus second, but I think this is someone that tends to get overlooked a little bit. With what he did his first full season, followed by his stint in the fall, like even in the context of the pitchers there not being particularly good, I do think he's someone to pay attention to. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head when talking about how he is kind of an under-the-radar guy. I know um, a lot of Phillies fans feel like he's, he's an under-the-radar guy in the way that um, outlets talk about him. And I think part of that is, you know, he's not the flashiest kind of player. He's just a guy that just does – everything well you know does everything pretty well he puts up good numbers pretty much everywhere he goes um the start of the year wasn't wasn't too great for him but he really really picked it up played at the futures game and the biggest thing with him was the amount of development that he had at the alternate training site in 2020 I mean they were really impressed with the way that he put on a lot of muscle he got a lot stronger and that led to obviously the increased power this year which was the which was eye-opening as well as increased bat speed, uh, his plate discipline, as you spoke 
spoke about has gotten uh, better as well. And this is a guy who, you know, it's very easy to, to see him profiling as an everyday player. You know, maybe he's, he's probably not going to be a perennial all-star. I think that's safe to say, but he's going to be a, a really good player who should have a, a lengthy major league career, All, whether it's at second or short, you know, the, the, the Phillies, I, I don't think we'll be too picky considering they could use a guy at both positions in the long term, but he is a guy who you can just very easily pencil in um, in, a, in a long major league career because of the fact that he's across the board, just does everything solid to pretty well. Yeah, I mean, this year, again, power improved, plate discipline improved, damage to the whole field. It's not whole happy. He added that power without adding a significant amount of swings and misses to his game. Just does a lot of things well. And I think what stood out to me watching him in the fall week, even though he didn't get a chance to take the bat off his shoulder, he was letting pitchers come to him. He wasn't chasing, he wasn't trying to force anything. And if they weren't going to pitch to him, he was happy to take his walk. We saw that he had 24 walks to 14 strikeouts in the fall league. And when he did get a pitch to hit, he didn't miss it. He had 10 extra base hits in 26 games, uh, drove in 30 31 runs as well, was able to pick his spots. And when his team needed a run, he was able to do something. So it's interesting. We've talked about the Phillies and some of their struggles and developing players, particularly position players. We talked about the pitchers, but again, outside of Hoskins, the position player track record isn't great either. That said, the concerns about some of their position players, we talk about Moniak, we talk about Hazley, we talk about Crawford. There are some questions about them and ultimately what kind of impact they would have, even when they were in double-A, triple-A. With Stott, there does seem to be more confidence, I would say. Just again, looking at what evaluators are seeing, what they're saying about him, it is more and higher than what they were saying about some of these other guys at the same time. So I do think there is justification for a little more optimism that he can come up and contribute more than maybe there was for some of the other guys. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. You know, he is a guy that has very few holes in his game. You know, he's not going to, there's nothing that he does that's going to, be a 70 grade tool or, or anything of that nature. But on the opposite side, it's the fact that he just plays a steady game. Um, he's a hard out, you know, he's, he's solid in the field and there's really nothing that he does that concerns you that could be exploited at the big league level. I think, you know, that is definitely something, especially with a guy like Moniac that you would look at, um, you know, Stott doesn't have, doesn't really have any holes that, that guys can easily exploit. And I think that's, that's, really encouraging for the organization is, is seeing that this looks like a success. You know, it, it's, it's a little early to say clearly, but it does look right now like they hit the nail on the head with him and that he was a successful draft pick, which is encouraging for a team that's had a run of really struggling to get these, these bats in the system and get them to the majors. Yeah, he's only had 10 games at AAA, so this isn't someone that necessarily is going to be ready on opening day, but I do think there is a reasonable expectation that he should come up and play for the Phillies at some point during the year, barring injury or some unforeseen circumstance. Chris, this top three, all first-round picks, fairly prominent names, guys who have some pedigree, and for the most part, draw solid reviews all around. After this, at least from the outside looking in, it's a little more jumbled. Is it fair to say this was the clear top three, and then afterward things opened up a bit? Yeah, I think it is fair to say that. Um, you know, There are certainly some other intriguing guys within the system, but when you talk about the level of talent and then, in Stott's case, the level of just production – they really asserted themselves in being the top three guys and everybody else in the system. You know, there's questions in some, uh, in some form, there's questions about, 
you know, tools versus in-game production, uh, whether, you know, a breakout year is just a one year off uh, kind of trend. And so it is a pretty steep gap, I would say, between between three and, and the rest of the top 10 um, because of the fact that, you know, a lot of these guys under them have some glaring weaknesses that they really need to work on this year. So given that, take us through this group. Who are some of the guys that people should really be paying attention to? Sure. So I think the first one is Johan Rojas. He's a guy that, you know, the organization really loves. Um, and, and it's easy to see why. He's extremely toolsy. Um, he's a, a plus-plus runner. Um, he's, an, he's a plus defender in center field. He's a true center fielder. And he's got some pop in his bat. The thing with him is that he really needs to uh, continue to improve his swing decisions. It was something that the organization felt like he did do during the year. Um, he really worked to get a better launch angle on his bat. He had one of the highest ground ball rates in the organization coming into the season and improved on that. And he improved his swing and miss and was better against off-speed pitches as well. But with him, you know, it hasn't always translated into end-game production. He did get a promotion to, to high A after putting up some, some good numbers at low A. Um, but for him, it's really he's he's just got to be able to to show consistently that he can can swing the bat. Everything else is there, but he's got to make good solid contact and got to show some of his power in games. Um, after that, I would say Ethan Wilson's a guy who the organization feels like has a, has that impact bat that we talked about that you know they've missed in in recent years. But he had a bit of a shaky debut, but they feel like it's a, an above average hitter with plus power. He's probably a left field profile. He's not a great defender, but they're really encouraged by his bat. And I think that's one, it'll be really interesting to see how he does at the class A levels um, in his debut and see if he ends up in, in double A by the end of the season, which is, you know, the track record of a lot of these uh, impact bats coming out of college is that they will get to double A if they're playing well. And then after that, uh, Logan Ohapi is someone who, you know, I spoke with with high A managers. Um, they were really impressed by him. He's a leader out there at catcher. He's a plus defender. He's got a good arm. Uh, he's he's got intriguing raw power, and you know he spent the 2020 off or the off season between the 2020 and 2021 season at drive line. He was working to really flatten his bat path and 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 you know uh, strengthen his bat to ball skills and the organization feels like he really did that uh, coming into the season and he, it did result in less swing and miss and he put up, you know, some really impressive numbers. Um, the big thing with him will be seeing how he does when he spends the majority of the season at triple Wade in 2022, which will be interesting. Um, and, you know, after that, I would say Hans Kraus, who they acquired in that Spencer Howard deal um, from the Rangers. He's a guy who has, uh, good stuff, you know, three above average or better pitches, not great control. And it'll be interesting to see uh, what his role is for the big league club this year. I would imagine that he will spend uh, the majority of the year with the major league team, um, all, whether it's as a back end starter or as, or as a long reliever, it'll be interesting to see. He's certainly someone though, who, you know, you can see the talent there. He's just really was bit by the injury bug the last few years. Um, and then, you know, Matt Beerling is a guy who was not really on the radar uh, for the past few years, but he really got a lot stronger heading into the 2021 season, improved his exit velocities, topping out at 116 miles per hour in spring training, 
and the team felt confident in his ability in, in playing him down the stretch in a playoff race, which I think goes to show uh, how they feel about him. You know, he's probably nothing more than an extra outfielder at the big league level, I would imagine. But if he can show that he can improve his hit tool, he could one day be a starter. Um, Raphael Marchand, obviously, at number nine is is a really good defender. It's just you're getting nothing from the bat, which could uh, – could really prohibit him from being even a big league backup because of the fact that there's just really, really weak hit tool, really weak power. And then sort of the wild card at number 10 would be Simon Moziati, who had some visa issues. So he was in Venezuela and he didn't get to join the team until the end of the season. Uh, he spent most of his time at AAA when he did. And then he, he played pretty well in the AFL. He spent some time in the Venezuelan Winter League. And he's a toolsy guy, but with him, it's just, you know, when you're, you're losing almost two years of, of, of production because of the coronavirus pandemic and the visa issues that kept him out. But he is a guy with an above average hit tool. He's a really good defender. He's another guy that can play center field. So there's certainly guys that the system has where you can see them potentially reaching the next level and moving up into that next group. But they also have some some weaknesses that could prohibit them from doing so. And that's where, you know, some of the caution comes into play and and where these guys are ranked within the system. I want to dive into Logan O'Hoppy for a second. He was another player that was very, very impressive in the fall league. He jumped out right away, just really, really good defender behind the plate. Really, really good job of kind of leading his pitchers, guiding them through some tough spots. Saw him handle really good stuff from upper level guys, even though the majority of his season was played at high A. And then talking to him, just the smart, steady leader type that you want behind the plate. I think when you look at this next group, he's the guy that jumps out to me as someone that might be able to exceed expectations and talking to evaluators and seeing what they had to say throughout the season. It seemed like he was showing that throughout the year. It wasn't just me seeing him, you know, the best week of his life in the fall league. It does seem like there's something there, particularly given the position and what he's able to do behind the plate. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. That was the same kind of reviews that I was getting, um, you know, people within the organization, people outside of the organization, they're really impressed with so many of the things that he brings both on and off the field in the leadership qualities and the work ethic in the way that he's able to just really manage a game behind the plate and in the way that he really improved his bat during the 2021 season. I think the biggest thing with him will just be, it'll be interesting to see if he can keep that up in 2022 but he's certainly a guy who you can absolutely see making that leap because of the fact that he is such a hard worker and because of the fact that you can see these very clear improvements just from year over year. Um, so we're, we're talking about a guy who, if, if he has another, has another promising year, you know, he probably becomes their, their catcher of the future um, after that. Obviously, JT Realmuto is still there right now, but I mean, he's he's a guy who the organization really loves him. I know Joe Girardi really loves him. And so much of what he does uh, really does help a ball club. Um, and just being able to improve the bat the way that he did leaves you feeling that he could take another big jump this season. All right, Chris, I want to dive into some of the guys in the back half of the system. Uh, but first, we're going to take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. And we're back with Chris Tranquil breaking down the Philly system. All right, Chris, we've talked about some of the guys at the top of the system. As we mentioned, there's not a lot of depth here. Even as you get to the back of the top 10, it's guys who you're hoping are backups and, and total wild cards. But there's always guys who emerge from the middle tier of a system, the back of a system, even sometimes outside of the system. We saw that with the Phillies this year. Luke Williams was someone who was not considered much of a prospect through the 2019 season, but he got stronger and did a lot of work in 2020 and came back in 2021 and starred for Team USA's Olympic qualifying team and earned a promotion to the majors and found himself a part of the roster for most of the year. Who are some of the guys in this 11 to 30 group, even really more than 15 to 30 group that have a chance to maybe take a step and and could be someone that plays a role for the Phillies in the future? Yeah, so I'd say uh, two of the more intriguing guys are a pair of arms that they got in the uh, 2021 draft. Christian McGowan, who they drafted out of Eastern Oklahoma State Junior College in the seventh round. And then Micah Odenbright, who's more of a, he's a prep projection arm out of Michigan, who they got in the fourth round. So McGowan, you know, he primarily was a reliever in college, but they feel that he can be a starter um, in the minor leagues. He's got a really intriguing arsenal. He throws a two-seam and four-seam fastball that can reach all the way up to 97. He's also got a hard slider and an above-average changeup. So he's got three above-average offerings or better. Just be – we'll see what – how his control goes, but – it looks like he could um, start the year at low A Clearwater before getting a pretty quick promotion to, to high A Jersey Shore. And then Odenbright, um, right now he's already hitting 95 miles per hour as an 18-year-old, and he's definitely got a lot more projection left. He's another, he's another big arm at 6'4", 190, and his curveball really stood out to people within the organization. He was getting up to 3,000 RPMs at, at Instructs. So really impressive plus pitch there, and he's got a pair of average or better offerings in his fastball and changeup. So he's a guy who, you know, like Abel and Painter, is going to be years away, but he's someone who you can certainly dream on the potential that he has. And then if we're looking at at bats after those guys, I would say uh, Ricardo Perez is is one who stands out. He's another catcher within the organization, and he 
you know, he had a solid year in the Dominican Summer League. He had more walks than strikeouts, and he impressed the team with the way that he he played at Instructs. He's probably a he's a hit over defense bat right now, or a hit over defense player right now. Um, you know, his his carrying tool was definitely the fact that he's an average hitter with average power at the very least. Um, and he's also gotten bigger uh, in the last couple years. Managing his weight is going to be something to keep an eye on. But he looks like a guy who will probably make his rookie level Arizona Complex League or rookie level Florida Complex League debut this year. And it'll be really interesting to see, uh, you know, what he does after uh, coming over to the States. I do have to ask, what is the latest on Mickey Moniak? We saw him do some good things in spring training. Joe Girardi talked about him a little bit as someone who there's something there in his eyes. Came back up to the majors this year and did not do a whole lot with the opportunity. What are their latest reviews on him? And and ultimately, what can the Phillies expect from the former number one overall pick moving forward? Well, I think uh, if you speak to people in the organization, they're probably still higher on him than people outside of the organization. Um, You know, he he definitely increased his power this year. Uh, His best power of his career, exit velocities topping between 110 and 113 miles per hour. But, you know, with that, he also had the highest strikeout rate of his career, almost 25% of AAA. And you just haven't seen enough out of that bat on a consistent basis to, to really see anything more than an extra outfielder at the big league level. I think he also had a bad break at the end of the year by having to pull out of the Arizona Fall League. He was scheduled to go in there, but had an injury. And, you know, with him, it'll just be, I think, uh, I think that it, what you're seeing is probably at best in a backup outfielder who can potentially help help the team when when another guy needs a day off but it's hard to see him as anything more than that given the fact that his hit tool has really struggled he's really struggled with with swing and miss uh in his career yeah 238 with a 299 on base percentage at triple a lehigh valley this year obviously not the kind of numbers you wanted to see and then when he came up to the phillies he had 16 strikeouts and 37 plate appearances so on the one hand he's gotten to the majors people have talked about there's something there but it is probably that backup extra. It's, it's not a guy who projects to be a starter. And he's still young. He's 23 years old still. He'll turn 24 next May. So we do see guys bloom late. But this has been the thought for a few years now that it might be more of an extra than an everyday guy. And now it seems like it is becoming a pretty solid consensus that an extra player who, as you mentioned, comes off the bench, gives a guy a day off. We've seen him struggle in particular with same side pitching. Maybe you find a good matchup for him against a right-hander on certain days. It does seem like that's the most likely outcome at this point. Right. I think the one thing that, that uh, you know, is encouraging for him is the Phillies have every incentive to try and get him to succeed. Obviously, a former number one overall pick. You're going to do everything that you can to give this guy as many opportunities as possible to prove that he can be something. But yeah, I think you're right that that likely his his uh, most realistic role in the future is going to be as used as like a platoon bat off the bench, um, unless we just see a big jump in in his contact rate and the way that he faces same side pitching in 2022. All right, Chris. So the big question now is the Phillies are a team that is trying to get back to the postseason. They have a very high payroll. They've made a lot of win-now type of moves with their free agent signings. A lot of their trades have been aimed at doing the same. I think it's clear that this farm system is going to take time to give them the type of support they need to take them from a team that, for the most part, has been 80 wins, 81 wins, 82 wins. 
and really provide them the kind of reinforcements and support to become a playoff team. What are the next steps here? Is it just simply, hey, you've got to hit on your draft picks? I mean, what are some of the things this organization can do to get this farm system stronger to ultimately serve the major league team, which is the point of all this? Yeah, I think it would on it, you know, it, it is easy to say it, but they have to do better in the draft. I mean, that you can just look at the last the drafts from I guess you could say twenty fourteen to twenty eighteen, there are just a lot of misses in there. And we see year after year with all these organizations, if you miss on the draft, it can just really hurt your farm system for years to come. And I think after that, you know, they, they've had a good presence in, in Latin America and they've gotten a lot of, of intriguing prospects, but it's seeing, especially uh, with hitters, just being able to have these guys develop. Um, you know, you can say the same thing with a guy like Francisco Morales, who's was, has a huge arm, but just has not developed in the way that the organization would have hoped. So I, I think it, it is a reinvestment in the draft and, and really starting to nail some of these picks, especially, you know, the first rounders are obviously it's, you want to hit on those, but you really got to hit on, on the later round picks and try and build up the depth within the system, as well as just continuing to, to have that investment in Latin America and seeing some of these guys pan out, you know, guys like Josuar Garcia and Jalen Ortiz, Luis Garcia, who have not, uh, been at everything that the organization has hoped for. You have to hope that some of these guys can can start to really improve and show the potential that uh, had the Phillies go after them in the first place. Yeah, and we're seeing them again. They've made some changes on both the scouting side and the player development side and hopefully have some more successful outcomes. I know watching some of the Phillies prospects come through Lakewood and Clearwater over the years when I was still on the East Coast and also Lehigh Valley, there were definitely times where you wondered some of the things they were doing, what the instruction was, particularly offensively. I remember seeing a number of hitters and it was clear that something was not clicking and it seemed to me it was more of an instruction issue than a talent issue. So we'll see what changes. Again, they've, they've brought in some new staffers. They're going to continue bringing in new staffers and we'll see what happens. But at the very least, the Phillies do have some things to build on the major leagues. They have these top three prospects who absolutely have promise. Bryson Stott, barring injury or some unforeseen circumstance should be up to help the team at some point in 2022. And we'll see what he's able to become. And who knows, maybe he's the guy who can kind of break this spell of Philly's top draft picks, not panning out in the major leagues. It all remains to be seen. There's a lot of work ahead and we'll see what Preston Mattingly and his new staff were able to do. Chris, any final thoughts on the Philly system this year? The last thing I would say is, you know, it's encouraging that the organization has a plan that Dombrowski has a blueprint for what he wants to do and he has guys in there that he feels like he's on the same page with doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to lead to good results but being able to say that you have a blueprint for how you want your team to look moving forward I think is something that should encourage Phillies fans along with the fact that they do have some talent at the top of the system that could really really be impact major leaguers in in the next next five or so years. Absolutely we'll see how it all turns out. Chris thank you so much for joining us today we appreciate your insight as always. Thanks for having me, Kyle. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another BA Prospects podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Chris Trankel, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Save. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.